This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football, some coaching moves that could impact USC recruiting going forward. We want to talk about all that. we got Dan Weber and Keely Yord on the show today. If you have any questions or comments, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you'd rather call or text us, you can do that. 424-254-9141 is the number. Send us a text. Leave us a voicemail. Please subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, any place you can get the podcast. And leaving us a positive review. Five-star ratings are great, just like your Uber driver. They're nice, and it helps us propagate the show out there to other USC fans. We'll keep this rolling throughout the offseason. And this is a little bit different setup today. We do have Keely Yor in studio back in uh, in her in uh, Redondo Beach. Keely, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm a little under the weather, but I'm powering through. So we'll we'll do the best that I can today. Yeah, and not only is Keely powering through just being in the studio, I am in Maui in a hotel room. So that's hopefully if it sounds a little different, that's why. But uh, I am not in studio, so Keely's there holding down the fort, mm-hmm. and we have Dan Weber on the line too. What this technology stuff is great. Dan, how are you? Uh, doing great uh, in Orange County, as always, almost. Uh, so uh, that's nice. Very good. We're all spread out all over the place. So this is uh, well. Hopefully this works okay. But we do. There's a bunch of news that we have to get to uh, about the the coaching kind of moves. What's been going on? That the staff is coming together. Some of the different reports uh, that were out there. We'll talk about all that. I want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. They've been great to us. They don't have a Trader Joe's in Hawaii. I looked. So there's no Hawaii. Hawaii there's, a, there's a bunch of people online asking for Trader Joe's in Hawaii. Um, they got some cool food here, but yeah, but I couldn't find any Trader Joe's in Hawaii. Especially uh, maybe they'll come to Honolulu, Waikiki at some point. But uh, at least what I saw online, Maui uh, does not have any. Uh, I was looking through some of the frozen stuff. I like getting frozen meals and bring them in. Like you can get a bunch of Indian food or like Chinese food. The mini chicken tikka uh, samosas uh, are good. These little like triangle. Uh, filled with chicken and good good stuff. I want to try those, uh, but I like to get the fried rice stuff too. Just you kind of make a whole bunch of stuff from the the frozen foods are great. But yeah, go check out Trader Joe's. Not if you're in Hawaii, apparently. So we're up to talk to our guys there and see if they're gonna open a store. And why they wear the Hawaiian shirts? I wonder why they wouldn't be in Hawaii. <laughs> they're waiting for the interstate to be completed. So uh, once they get that completed, the trucks will be rolling. There, I was that my Uber driver was saying something like, "Yeah, that this there was a a pass around. I'm up in uh, 
was it Kanapali and uh, you go by Lanai and there's like a, a road that goes around that that just opened a year, like a year and a half ago. So it's a bypass. And they're like, yeah, they started planning that in 1985. And it's just, <laughs> so, and they're trying to do like a light rail in, in Honolulu. And that's been, you know, 15 years in the making. So it just takes a lot longer. All right. Some uh, big news on the USC assistant coaching front. There was three spots open after, uh, right before signing day, uh, three coaches let go. Chad Kay, Johnny Nansen, and Greg Burns. And you know, you we heard from Clay Helton on signing day, and it looked like they were going to hire a cornerbacks coach because they already have a safeties coach. They were going to hire a defensive line coach, and they were going to hire someone to handle special teams. The special teams one broke first. Uh, so Sean Snyder, who's the son of legendary coach uh, Bill Snyder from Kansas State, He'd run that, but he's been at Kansas State for like 30-something years. Like he played there. He was an All-American punter there. Uh, seems to be a you know an expert when it comes to special teams. We had some information about him in the war room if you want to go check that out. Not official yet, but it takes a while for these things to go through. But uh, that is definitely a done deal. And then the news from uh, Monday, I believe it was. Was it Monday, it broke, or yes, Sunday? it's Sunday. Monday. Yeah, so uh, Dante Williams, who's uh, – He's going to be coaching um, cornerbacks for USC from Southern California. Great ties to the Southern California high schools. And that's something that, and Gerard talked about this on our tunnel vision, where there's just not, there's a lot of Texas guys. There wasn't a lot of Southern California high school embedded guys. And Dante Williams is one of those, an ace recruiter. Uh, Oregon fans were very upset that he left. Uh, he's got uh, an ailing family member, and that was part of the reason in his uh, Twitter post of why he was going to come back to Southern California. Uh, I think, you know, Clay Helton wanted to bring someone in. I think the whole staff, they needed somebody good. I think Gavin Morris was tight with him. There's a big part of this. You saw some of his reaction on social media was pretty funny. So uh, it, this looks like a big coup for uh, for USC, getting a guy like Dante Williams, not only because he's going to help USC's recruiting efforts, but also you take a guy who was helping to steal all those great players from Southern California and taking them up to Eugene, he's no longer going to be doing that. Well, I mean, you know, I think they're not finished yet, too. So uh, we keep hearing that uh, that there may be uh, uh, another uh, guy in the works uh, with a very kind of a similar profile. And uh, uh, with the, uh, you know, Southern California recruiting chops and uh, – and the fact that they're also going to load up, uh, as, as GM talked about, the, the new kind of high school coordinator position. And we're even hearing there might be two of those guys, and they might be people that you you would all recognize. Uh, it's a whole different look. I mean, the way, you know, this is sort of, you know, playing out. Uh, it's it's uh, it's, it's costing them some money. I mean, there, this is not, you know, happening, uh, you know, on the cheap. Uh, these are people that, you know, are in demand. Uh, you know, and this is something, uh, that you haven't seen is USC going after coaches that are in demand where they are and with other people and USC going and, and getting them. I think I, I remember covering Kansas state a couple of times in the Alamo bowl, when I was uh, covering Purdue and thinking how good their special teams are, man. I, I mean, I was just so impressed with them. And then obviously USC played them twice, but uh, 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 getting Sean Snyder. And it's interesting. His dad started out as a grad assistant at USC, Bill Snyder. That was his first 
uh, first big chance to get into coaching. He started, uh, he was the first coach, trying to think of the name, uh, the other high school in Tustin. The other, they started football uh, the year he left USC, and he was the first head coach there. So you're getting people with some uh, some Southern California connections and roots and uh, and people that are, you know, could go a lot of places. And uh, so that's not what we've been seeing over the year, the recent years here at USC. Yeah, getting people that are in demand hasn't been the norm for USC. It's getting people that no one else wanted <laughs> seemed to be the norm. Uh, still have a defensive line coach position open. Uh, some names have been bouncing around there. But Keely, what were your thoughts on uh, USC bringing in those two coaches? I mean, just starting with Dante Williams, we always talk about, I think we talked about last week, you know, just seeing Oregon take over USC's territory, both literally, literally and figuratively. We saw them in the Coliseum after that blowout win against USC, taking that recruiting uh, reins. And so to, to get a, a dynamic recruiter, but also steal him away from Oregon, that's huge for USC. I feel like this is the first like big boy move we've seen from USC in a while. And you, you could already see the ripple effects of this move in the recruiting world. Seven McGee, a dynamic running back, and Anthony Beavers, a, a defensive back, both committed to Oregon. Both tweeted out last night, like, kind of <laughs> being like, ooh. They, you could tell that they were shocked by this move, and they've been guys that USC has targeted for a while. So will this have ripple effects where you can see some Oregon guys who are committed right now think twice about where they're going? We'll see, but this is big. And, and I think that this is the first, like I said, big boy move we've seen from USC in a while. Yeah, yeah. it's a signal that the trajectory, uh, you know, there are new people running the program, and it's a signal. They needed to send out a signal. Uh, the waiting 11 days and then deciding to keep Clay sent a signal that things weren't going to change even with new people. And you had to send out another signal, uh, which they've obviously done in a, in a number of ways in, in, in redoing the staff and letting people go and bringing new people in. But that's the signal. You're either you know on the way up or you're on the way down. And people pay attention uh, to what USC does. And had they not done all of these things, it's hard to send a signal out that, oh yeah, now we really mean it. Now, in order to compete, you have to compete. I mean, you can't just say you're gonna compete. You have to actually compete. And you know this is the only way you can compete right now is putting together a staff and uh, that's a signal that okay maybe things have changed and uh, sure looks like they have uh, to some extent and I do think some of this is a reaction I don't think I don't think Mike Bone and Carol Fult had any idea what kind of reaction and uh, Mike Bone might have had a sense of it even though he wasn't here I don't think Carol Fult had any sense of the kind of reaction the negative reaction that they were going to get uh, with the retention of Clay and the kind of, well, we're just going to, you know, muddle on the way we've been muddling on. And the fan base finally said, nope, we've had a decade of this. We're not putting up with it for another minute, another month, another season. You got to change. And I, I think they were pretty overwhelmed by the neg negative reaction that, you know, exists to to today i mean they they weren't prepared for that and that i think awakened them that no you do not have another year to tread water the fans aren't going to put up with it yeah and I, I think when we talked about we you know we talked about this in the war room a little bit and we've talked about this in the peristyle and probably here on the podcast too 
the big decision was keeping Clay or not keeping Clay. You kept Clay. That was the very unpopular decision. You're not going to recover from that. And the only thing the athletic department can do is just hit a bunch of singles, you know, and try to slowly show everyone, hey, we do care about winning. We want to build this back up. I know you didn't like keeping Clay Helton, but here's what we're going to try to do to alleviate all that stuff. So I think they've made a whole bunch of smaller positive moves going forward, but it's still, I mean, we still see on the parastyle, no matter what we post, no matter what, like, oh, this is really neat. This is a really good hire. The reaction is always, yeah, but Clay's still the head coach, you know? Yeah. So I don't know how many singles it's going to take to overcome that. Maybe there might not be enough, but there's definitely been a good series of signal singles from the athletic department that they're at least trying to go in the right direction. I think we said it all. I mean, I, going in the right direction is, uh, you know, everybody knows, hey, you're going to be playing Alabama uh, the next game. Everybody knows that, hey, uh, the last time they were getting ready for Alabama, it didn't look bad in the spring. Uh, looked like they maybe had a chance, they had two quarterbacks, and they thought, you know, uh, either one of them would, would, would do a pretty good job. And, you know, then they started getting ready for Alabama, slowing down, you know, walking through practice like an NFL team. And they got beat 52 to six. So I think that's in the back of everybody's mind. What does it matter if you, you know, you do all, you, you know, you hit three singles and, the, the, you know, then you get thrown out at home or whatever, uh, trying to score from second. Uh, you just, you can't probably hit enough singles, but, uh you know, it, it, it does help to, you know, have people on base when you got, a, you know, you got your big hitter coming up. I don't know. Uh, but then you got to deliver at that point, uh, end of the baseball analogies. But uh, you've got to uh, convince people that that this is for real and that this that there's a plan here. Where is this going? I know people are saying, so you win 10 games next year, you win 11 games next year. What does that mean? Uh you know, does that stop the, uh, you know, staff changes from happening and all that? Uh, where does that go? I mean, you know, people are worried. I mean, only at USC could you be worried that next year you may win 10, 11 games <laughs> and win the Pac-12. What does that mean? Oh, my God, that's terrible. Uh, USC is in a, in a kind of a different place when you think about it. Yeah. Um, well, we're not going to, because I'm remote, we're not going to, we had a bunch of voicemails come in. So unfortunately we're not going to be able to play those this time. I'll save them though. And, uh, try to do an extra podcast or something when I get back into town, but we do have uh, a bunch of emails. Do you want to start jumping into them, Keely? Sure. First up, let's start with an email from Rick from La Mirada. Uh, I want to summarize what he said first. He's disappointed that USC lost Drennan, uh, the four-star running back to Kentucky over USC. Uh, but his main question is, is there a portal for coaches? He thinks that once Todd Orlando comes to SC, he's not going to want to stay. What are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, real quick, um, Dad, I'll jump in. So I, I think that's one of the narratives that people have such disdain for Clay Helton. And the, the thought is, no one's going to want to work for him. And I think that you're underestimating the power of being at USC and the power for a guy like Todd Orlando to know that he could end up being the head coach halfway through the season. So it's, <laughs> I think there's a lot of positives. So, no, I, I mean, you don't get a Dante Williams who's, he, you know, if he thinks it's a sinking ship or whatever, like there's reasons that he would still want to be there. It's a higher profile thing. So I think that's one of the, you, there's a lot of criticisms that are fair about Clay Helton. And, 
you know, I agree. I don't think he should have still been the head coach, but saying that no one would ever kind of work at USC because Clay Helton's there. I just think that's false. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, uh, coach Orgeron, Ed would have probably come back, uh, far enough, enough years ago. Uh, and uh, there's something about USC that's special. If you ever, you know, see Coach O talk about uh, USC, USC's never far away. I mean, it wasn't far away with Pete Carroll. You get the right guy, you get the right staff, uh, and USC's never going to be far away. Uh, one of the things that happened with Drennan, for example, Kentucky has finally figured out that they have to recruit Ohio. There aren't enough uh, slots at Ohio State, and they're recruiting nationally for all the good players coming out of Ohio. And it took Kentucky years to realize. I mean, I was telling them this <clears throat> when I uh, covered Kentucky, that there are plenty of players in Ohio and, you know, Indiana and Pennsylvania who would like to come to the northernmost SEC school. And Kentucky finally figured that out. And it was hard, I think, with Drennan because I think Kentucky was in on him when he was like in the eighth grade. I mean, they were, you know, so it, it may be hard to build those relationships because I don't know that USC's had, had that much time, uh, you know, to get, get together with kids. You can overcome that a little bit as Pete did with a national, you know, program that's nationally competitive. Kids get drafted into the, you know, to the NFL and uh, all of that. And, and because of the excitement of coming to Los Angeles and, and what, what kind of a school USC is. But you have to have it all together to be able to go in, <clears throat> swoop in and maybe get a kid like, uh, like Drennan. Uh, USC kind of starting, you know, from behind the eight ball. And uh, I think, you know, I think you can make it up very quickly if you decide to do it completely right. And, you know, you've got the, the head coach hanging over everything. But uh, so far, uh, the steps have been pretty good ones. And, and, and they're addressing the issues of well, what about recruiting? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, every uh, you know, the assistants and, uh, and, and the new positions are, are addressing are addressing that. And, uh, you know, now it's, they think they're going to, I mean, with that roster and their schedule, they think they're going to have a good year next year, uh, no matter what. And uh, I think, you know, Coach Orlando is telling people when he, he, he talks to the defensive kids and they say, are we going to tackle? We going to hit? He said, absolutely. Now that's not Clay Helton's coaching. That's different. Now something has obviously changed in the program. How that all goes together, I don't think we've seen. But uh, and I know people say, "Oh, you're buying the," you know. No, I don't think I don't think we're buying what they're saying just because they're saying it. I think uh, I don't. I just don't see Orlando coming here and and not coaching the way he coaches. I, I just I can't imagine that that would happen. And it'd be hard to be telling these kids that and then not do it. I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't see that. No, and I agree. And I think just the fact that he's going to have his own staff makes a, you know, makes a big difference too. on the offensive side of the ball. It's not, you know, Cliff Kingsbury was bringing in Mike Jenks, but we're sure if he was going to be able to make other moves, then you get Graham Harrell, who's young and probably isn't going to bring in his own staff. So I think you get a more experienced DC like Todd Orlando, and he's going to just showing what he's doing with the staff shows that he's going to have some kind of control there. So I think that's a good sign. Mm hmm. 
We have an email from Frank in Sacramento who says, question for Dan. In the future when players can make money off their name, image, and likeness, won't that benefit the Pac-12? Pac-12 schools largely based in big cities as opposed to, say, the SEC, whose schools are mostly based in smaller cities. A great player going to USC and getting endorsements in LA hits more eyeballs and is worth more than that same player uh, getting endorsements in Tuscaloosa. Also, will this put pressure on USC to put player names on jerseys? Thank you. Fight on, Frank in Sacramento. Yeah, I think the second part of that question is really interesting because that's what you're going to have to market. Uh, I think it, it it can be kind of a wash. You know, you might say, well, Tuscaloosa is not very big, but, you know, the, the level of intensity of, you know, fans to want to, you know, and businesses in Alabama to want to be identified with the players. Uh, and then at USC, it, it's a different world in the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 city. So, you might be able to do it in different ways uh, where guys are able to uh, have their own, you know, their own blog and, and, you know, get advertising for it or, you know, or get, you know, you can get paid for the number of times uh, your name gets mentioned or you can become an influencer like, like the, what was it? One of the Lori Laughlin uh, daughters was an in, uh, influencer uh, and you can get, you know, paid that way. There are a lot of different ways to monetize, you know, this whole thing. I think you probably have a, a more of a potential to get, let's say, auto dealer, uh, uh, you know, uh, sponsorships if you're in the SEC than maybe in, in California. But there may be other ways that, you know, in California, obviously, there's a whole lot, whole lot more out there Uh and I think, you know, how that's going to be allowed in the by the NCAA and whether they'll be allowed to legally limit it to say, well, you can monetize your name this way, but you can't do it that way. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, will kids be allowed to have their own shoe contract deals? And, you know, does that involve a lawsuit where the school says you got to wear this shoe and the kid says, but I'm getting paid to wear this shoe? I don't think it's going to come to that, but man, there are a whole lot of unanswered, uh, unanswered questions about the whole, you know, monetization. I'm not sure. The first question was, uh, what was his uh, first question? About wouldn't it uh, benefit the Pac-12 rather than the SEC because there's uh, bigger markets to market yourself in, essentially, rather than L- essentially LA is better than Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa <laughs> to market yourself. And that was, so in general, I think the Pac-12 is very, uh, you know, not similar. I mean, you know, U.S. there are more people in Southern California, I think maybe, than almost the entire rest of the Pac-12. Pac-12 has got a lot of small towns, small places where there just really aren't, uh, you know, there just aren't many opportunities, uh, you know, to monetize your name in Corvallis or, or, you know, Pullman. You know, even uh, Salt Lake City is, is not a really... You know, you know, big town, uh, big you know, me- metropolitan area. So, uh, so I think it's it would be hard to measure the whole Pac-12 against the whole SEC. Uh, in that case, the SEC is going to win. Uh, yeah. But with monetizing, you know, uh, USC in LA, I think you know that's the that's the. I don't know that there's a, a whole lot better opportunity. Maybe uh, Ohio State and Columbus. But then there are people who would say they're already doing it. 
So it's, yeah. it's not going to change much for some of those places, but it would change a lot for uh, USC and LA, I would think. So one of the things I was reading a tweet this morning, woke up like 5 a.m. here because I'm still on West Coast time, but uh, Steve Berkowitz from the USA Today tweeted out this. He said, just in case anyone is unclear on the NCAA's position regarding how it plans to handle athlete name, image, and likeness, this is from Mark Emmert's prepared opening statement uh, for the hearing today before the U.S. Uh, Senate Committee, I'm sorry, U.S. Senate Commerce Subcommittee. So Mark Emmert was speaking in front of that subcommittee, and the opening statement that he tweeted out was, uh, it is for this reason that, as part of this modernization effect, we will not consider any concepts that could be constructed as payment for athletic play. Um, he went on to say, consequently, the NCAA has no intention of taking any action that is contrary to the position advocated by the NCAA or accepted by the Ninth Circuit with respects to the types of NIL, that's name, image, and likeness, payments that were at issue in the O'Bannon case decided a few years ago. But they're saying that, you know, uh, you know, in that, it, it didn't sound like they were going to be budging much, that they don't want anyone getting paid that, that could help, you know, influence where they would go to school and things like that. So it's, uh, it, I'm not sure what's going to happen with this, but the, the state laws that are passing and, and some are going to go in effect this year seem to still be very different from what the NCAA wants to, to do. Yeah, there, there will be lawsuits galore if the NCAA doesn't give in on that. Cause I think they're basically saying all that the schools can do is offer you more educational opportunities or whatever. So maybe, you know, if you want to go to medical school after college or whatever, they can <clears throat> they can offer you that, but they can't pay you. Uh, and so, I mean, there's only so much, if you can't pay, pay them, there's only so much you can offer uh, uh, college students. I mean, you know, um, can they, you know, offer them houses or whatever? Can they, I mean, you know, there's already an NSA rule that the kind of housing that student athletes get can't be much different than the regular student body. So I'm not sure you could build, you know, Kentucky did it once for basketball where they built this palace for the basketball team. And the NCAA immediately came in and said, you can't do that. I mean, they were living, it was absolutely an unbelievable place that they built for the basketball team. And, you know, the, the NCAA probably going to try not to let that happen. Yeah. We have an email from our buddy Steve in Poway who says, Dear Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, like many of your listeners, I'm a USC alum, class of 95 and 98, so I received President Fultz's recent newsletter. While it contained a lot of interesting information, I couldn't help but be puzzled by the following lines about the football program. Quote, with only four 2019 starters not returning, this young football team will be looking for support from the Trojan family as they head into their first spring game on April 11th, uh, end quote. So questions. One, with only four starters not returning, why would you describe this football team as young? Wouldn't experienced or veteran, veteran be more apt descriptions? Two, and did anyone else snicker at the phrase, quote-unquote, first spring game? Does that mean there's been a change of philosophy in the football program about the spring game? Or is the president's communications expert clueless when it comes to football? And does the first, quote-unquote, spring game imply that there could be more? Smiley face. Any thoughts? Steve and Poway. Yeah. I think it's her uh, first spring game. Uh, and she's learning. I mean, you don't become an SID overnight, okay? So if you're the president and then you decide, okay, I'm also going to be the SID here uh, and give out some information about football – I think some of that might have been taken out of the season ticket brochures 
and uh, and all that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of trial and error when you're doing something maybe you're not that all that familiar with. And I'm sure the person in the communications office that did that also isn't all that up to speed on uh, on how how sports works and, and how you describe things and all of and talk about them. That was just kind of happy talk, trying to, to be real positive. Uh, although some people would say, uh, you might want to say with 18 starters returning or something like that, you know, instead of mentioning the ones that weren't coming. Yeah. Uh, uh, just a thought. I don't know. I, as an editor of, of sports stuff, uh, that might not have been the way I would have worded it. Yeah, I like what he said, uh, what Steve said about is the communication expert clueless when it comes to football? It's like ding, 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 ding. Yes, that's yes. what it is. <laughs> yes, uh, you are right there. But the way, yeah, well, the way it was worded was weird. By definition, every college football team is young. Like, I don't know. I mean, you know, even if you have all seniors, there's still a bunch of young kids. So uh, for them to say all these people are returning, but it's a young team also doesn't make much sense. I think you're if you're trying to sell the experience factor, I don't think you can – also sell that they're young like everyone's returning but they're all young it's like well no that's not it doesn't work that way so yes it, that makes no sense and also this was the first time we heard that the spring game was april 11th uh, i think they mentioned it on the pac-12 network later as well so like dan said uh wh why would that be disseminated through the president of the university i i have no idea um but yes they're they're kind of in scramble mode and i think the the one thing that you that usc fans will take away from um, you know, they're looking for support from the Trojan family. And that's, I think the, the, the very astute fans hate hearing that because they're, it's more of something pointing to them that, look, I know we've been terrible, but we just need your support. You know, one more, come on, do it again. Just come back and support again. And fans don't want to hear that right now. They don't want to hear, just give us your blind support, no matter how bad things have been run around here for the last decade. So to me, Dan, like all the other stuff is weird, but for her to like kind of, to me, it's like it's like this veiled shot at the fan base again, and I don't like that. Yeah, I don't think they realized they came in one year too late. The, the fans, I think, gave them uh, up till last year. I think they, actually, the fans kind of came back after five and seven, which is pretty much amazing. I think basically, you want to talk about USC fans, you thank them for coming back after five and seven, and you say, we're really sorry. We did not hold up our end of the bargain, and we appreciate everything you've done. And, you know, we're going to try to live up to your expectations of us and of this program. But, yeah, any hint that, oh, wait, the fans didn't do their job. Now, the only time I've been negative about the fans is if you pull for USC to lose. You have to not want bad things to happen to these kids, no matter how you feel about the program. If you want to, you know, classify yourself as a USC fan and you may, you know, theoretically say things have to get worse before they're going to get better. I can understand that in your head, but you can't root for these kids to lose. You just can't. That's just not, that's not right. But other than that, uh, USC also can't say to the fans, Hey, you owe us. You're USC fans. Come on, what's the deal here? Uh, that's wrong. USC basically needs to say, we did it wrong. We miss. We didn't understand. We're new here. We're going to do it right, uh, I, I think, is the way to go. 
didn't Lynn Swan say something to that effect as well when he brought back Clay Helton? Kind of like, okay, stay put, USC fans. Stick together because this is what I decided to do. I forgot the exact wording, but it seemed like that's what he said in his release. Yeah, yeah. I think that was yeah the general tone <clears throat> has been just not accepting the reality and the responsibility for getting it right. I mean, USC has, has kind of thought they, – they, I think they thought that bubble – that they kind of, they exist in was really impervious to anything, and, and it's turned out it's not. And the fans are serious, and uh, so you know they've got to they've got to win people over. It's not people. It's not the people's job to keep coming back and and giving them blind loyalty. I mean, you just can't do that. You can't expect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have an email from Bobby in Chico, not Chino, he says. Hello, Ryan and team. I'm thinking that the coaches quit recruiting early in the season, and the outcomes in recruiting prove that point. I'm convinced many never thought they would make it through the season, and Clay wasn't checking. He's retired while on the job. Do you think that cleaning house could also be seen as a sign that Clay is realizing what he needed to do and is actually doing it? And now he doesn't have his people, he can feel no obligation to them and can actually be a head coach. It's lonely at the top, but it's good to be the king. But being the king means you got to make the tough calls, got to fire them if that's what's needed. Bobby and Chico. Uh, in a, in a two-letter word, no. Not even anything about that. I mean, I, I, this was not – I do think they didn't recruit during the season, but they never recruit during the season. Uh, and, and so that by the time they got to the end of it, there wasn't anything left and, you know, they, everybody else has gone a different, you know, a different direction in recruiting, but I don't think any of these, uh, calls were made by clay. I, I really don't, uh, he, you know, he may understand the reality, but I think he's being told, uh, what direction to go. And I, I, I you can't ever convince me that clay wanted to let Baxter, or uh, Clancy uh, go. I, I just don't believe that. So I think uh, almost every move that you can look at uh, is not generated by the head coach. And I know people will say, well, that's crazy. How can that be? Uh, well, it's USC. That's how it can be. Uh, but Bobby, uh, I know Chico is a long way up I-5 or wherever the heck it is, up in the, the northern Northern California. But uh uh, from there, you may, it may look like Clay is kind of in charge. I just don't see it. I really don't. Yeah, Chico. It's funny. Uh, I was here. I got here yesterday before my friend. My friend Bill was coming here too. He wasn't getting it until the evening, and I went over to Leilani's near the hotel to get some food. It's been a, it's a it's been here for like forty years to get some like happy hour food and drinks and like two couples from Chico sat next to me and we were chatting for a while. And the dude played at he played soccer at chico state and he'd never played soccer in his life until he got to college i'm like what it was all these weird stories and his wife like played tennis there and stuff uh and i think she played at fresno state but it was funny we were talking lots of chico uh state stuff uh yesterday so i I know you guys might know each other sorry that's just a little (laughs) nice uh, we have an email from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. He says, Hi, Dan, Ryan, and Keeley. The essence of leadership is vision, persistence, being open to new ideas and needs, and especially building relationships. For a head football coach, these qualities are especially needed in recruiting. Dan outlined what Pete Carroll would do to be a top recruiter by visiting high schools, even in SEC country. I remember that Pete was at high school football games in SoCal every Friday night during the football season when he was in town. What has Clay Helton done to develop relationships with high school coaches in Southern California? What has he done to support 
support high school coaches with clinics. What is USC doing to make facilities available to high schools for learning activities for high school coaches and CIF championships? Is the Galen Center available for CIF or City High School Basketball Championships at no cost? It's all about USC and its coaches having relationships with Southern California high school coaches and selectively around the country. Your thoughts? Fight on, Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, Dan, those are all absolutely great thoughts. I just don't think they've been part of – there's not been that kind of outreach. I I just think there's been kind of uh, an inward-looking – USC program. Yeah, I know that at least once I remember big high school, you know, tournament games at Galen, but I don't remember them as much as maybe, you know, there could be. And uh, I just think the, you know, creation of these new recruiting positions uh, indicates that um, with Mike Bone and and Brandon Sosna, I I just think they realize that that's been – you know, terrifically missing. I mean, when you're starting to not get, you know, the, the best kids at modern day and, uh, um, uh, uh, Bosco and you just, that can't happen. I mean, that's the, that's the big advantage that USC's had over the years is those programs don't exist anywhere else in the country and you can't have a, a breakdown. I mean, when you've got a, an alum and a former football player coach, you know, Bruce Rawlinson coaching at modern day, that, that just can't happen. Uh, but you have to hold up your end of the bargain. You have to have a program. I mean, USC needs to develop a program on its level that's as good as the programs at Bosco and Modern Day are at their level. I mean, you know, there's nobody uh, in high school football in the country that even compares. Uh, and USC's got to be at that level. Or if you're at, at one of those programs, you look at USC and say, why would I take a step backwards? Uh, I had a chance to win national championships in high school. Why would I go to a place where I don't have a chance to do that in college if a lot of other people are trying to get me to go there and they think they can win national championships and they're trying and their history shows that they've got a chance. So USC's got to be to get those kids. USC has to say, hey, what Clemson's doing, what Ohio State's doing, what Alabama's doing, what Oregon more recently is doing we're doing we're seeing a little bit of that but we got to see a lot more now to to be fair i have seen clay at uh high schools on friday nights and whatnot and doesn't usc have like the nike coaching clinic so that if local high school coaches want to come and get coached by usc coaches they can like they, they have been doing some outreach with high schools in southern california yeah i mean and but that was that was established before you know, before this staff, this group came here, but you're right. And that's, I think that's pushed by Nike. Nike wants to get into, you know, uh, wants to have a place for the Nike coaches to be able to be, uh, involved with the high school coaches, but yeah, they do do that. And that, that tends to work, you know, really well, I think. And, And they just need more of that and more of that sense of where coaches want to come here because they really think they're going to learn something, uh, from these coaches. I used to go to them certainly when Pete was here and those coaches as high school coaches, they just wanted to hang out and, and talk with the USC coaches because, uh, you know, if you'd go to the coach Orgeron, uh, uh, you know, D line coaching, uh, you know, that was, those guys love that. And I think they've got to get back to that where these high school coaches are, uh, want to be around the USC coaching staff. 
And some of the questions uh, Dan had too, there's NCAA rules. I don't know all of them. I mean, there's a lot of good points there, but some of the stuff I don't know if your schools are even allowed to do. Yeah, that's a good point. We have an email. But, you, but I just think asking those questions, can we yeah. do this? Can we yeah. do that? What about this? What about that? Uh, I think that's starting to happen. I don't think it's been happening uh, nearly as much as it should have. And I, Dan, you're asking the right questions. Uh, we have an email from Sir Eric of Troy who says, I was recently putting myself in the shoes of Clay Hilton and wondered how it feels walking around campus knowing that 90% of the students he comes face-to-face -face with wish that he wasn't there. Has he, or that you know of, experienced any unfavorable run-ins with students or any other university staff members? I ask because I think that his quote-unquote nice guy uh, personality uh, has worn off on with many, if not most, of the fans. I know it's hard to imagine being in a position like that in the eyes of almost everyone you come in contact with at your place of employment, but then it's also even harder to imagine being paid $3.5 million a year for a job I was never qualified to do in the first place. Just wondering, Sir Eric of Troy, in my 17th consecutive year on the P, and what would have been my 28th consecutive year as a season ticket holder and athletic fund <laughs> member? Uh, it's hard to not... You know, not not in in an in agreement with that. Uh, I think it might be one of the reasons for what six. This is the seventh week. Uh, we just haven't seen Clay, haven't had been heard from him much. Uh, I'm guessing uh, from what I understood, he called in the uh, coach's appearance right on uh, signing day that he wasn't there in person. He did. He didn't go to Tro Trojans live. Yeah, he called in. And and you're you're a block and a half away, um, so. I don't think there have been many uh, clay sightings uh, recently. I don't. I think it's hard to imagine a situation where somebody face to face or personally, uh, especially the student body, would uh, you know would make it really uncomfortable or whatever. But uh, I think it is. It would be uncomfortable to be clay and coming from a place where, you know, how how disappointed he knows everybody is and. Everybody knows how much he's, you know, getting paid, and most of the coaches he's hired are all have all been fired, and uh, it can't be a comfortable existence right now. This has got to be tough. Yeah, it's it's definitely tough, and uh, just in any kind of situation where you have an unpopular leader, and you hear the whispers and the rumblings, and you're still gonna, he's still gonna try to lead, but it's 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 hard. I think it I think it puts him in a tough spot, but. He's getting paid the big bucks to, to do it. And I think just like going into the season last year, you weren't going to get five and seven. You weren't going to wipe the, the, you know, the stain of five and seven away without winning a bunch of games. And they start off three and three. You get a penalty on the very first play of the, the season, which was the most baffling thing maybe in the whole year. Um, and it's the same sort of thing now. Like you can make all these changes. You can say all these things, but if you go out and get spanked by Alabama, nobody cares. So it's, it's a, it's again, he's in the situation where it's just like put up or shut up. And that's, the, I think that's all he knows. That's all he can do. Mm -hmm. We have an interesting question from Jim B who says, Hey guys, love your podcast. Keep up the good work. Could you give us some info on Gerard Martinez Martinez's background? Has he ever played football? Has he ever coached football? Also on Dan Weber, has he ever played football? I know he has coached football in high school, but was he a head coach or an assistant? Was he a coach at a small high school or a big power uh, football team? Fight on Jim B. Yeah, real quick, uh, Jim. Uh, yeah, Gerard played, uh, I think it was at Fontana. I think played against Chris Claiborne back <laughs> in the day. Yeah. Um, 
he went to USC for a semester. Uh, he's broadcast journalism. It was too expensive, and he ended up uh, finishing his degree at Fullerton, but was into journalism. And he was on the website. He was posting on the message board and was really knowledgeable about USC recruiting. And we started talking and, um, you know, he started working for me. So it's been it's been a while. Uh, I mean, more than 15 years. I forget when exactly it was, but he's been uh, on the site for quite a long time. As for me, uh, I did. I was the uh, my one, one distinction. I played in, in the greater Cincinnati League. Were, uh, for Cincinnati St. Xavier. At the time, we thought the Greater Cincinnati League was uh, the best high school league in the country. It was the four, four Catholic schools in Cincinnati. And I played nose tackle, and I was literally the only lineman in the GCL over four years who I played against every one of them that didn't get a Division I college scholarship. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, I played against a lot of really good players. Uh, it was it was great football, and I got lucky. I got to uh, they were starting football at Covenant Catholic High School, uh, where we ended up uh, with good athletes, but they hadn't played football much before. And we played against all the the big Cincinnati powerhouses. And uh, one year, I got to coach the freshman, the uh, junior, uh, the JV, and I was the first varsity assistant. Uh, I learned more football coaching that year than than you could ever imagine but uh and i was also the head baseball coach but uh was never more than the first varsity uh varsity assistant i didn't you know stay long enough i i just had other things i always wanted to do i wanted to write about it wanted to uh uh i wanted to be i was an sid uh, uh and ended up back at xavier as an sid and was got really involved in basketball because we had to convince them that if they really pushed hard, that they could have a great basketball program, which they have have developed and it's been really important for Xavier. And then I, I got got into the newspaper business and uh, as a sports editor and columnist. But uh, but I, I think I, I learned an awful lot being uh, uh, coaching at at the most basic level uh, of high school football. But the key is you got to pay attention to what's going on and why, and you got to learn from it. And you got to be willing. Uh, we ended up one year we didn't have enough uh, time uh, because some coaches left. We ended up running no huddle offense because we only had seven plays and we didn't need to huddle. Uh, we had five run run plays and two pass plays, and that team by the end of the year was so good. Uh, that JV team, uh, we beat you know all the big Cincinnati schools with not nearly the, the amount of talent because we could execute because we only had seven plays and we didn't have to huddle because uh, we could easily call the play out and that was before any of the college teams were doing it. We just did you know by accident, but there are things you learn I think coaching high school football that really 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 help you uh, to to understand the game. So that's kind of my background. Wait, I can get over the fact that you were a nose tackle, Dan? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the, I was probably the smallest defensive line, or lineman in the in the league, but uh, literally every single kid I played against freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year earned a division 1 scholarship. The league was really good. I mean, that was a good that was a very good football league at, at the time and uh, so uh, I tried to get very low. And stay underneath the center. Interesting. 
Uh, we have one final uh, question, and it's from uh, Jack from New Jersey, and he says it's for uh, the lighter side of the podcast. Ryan, the season is over. Signing day is complete. New coaches have been hired. I thought it would be different to just ask some fun questions to break up the endless Helton hating. I hope you, Dan, and Keely enjoy these. So I'm going to go through these one by one. You can answer once I do one of them. So first off, he said, do any of your friends or UFC classmates ever call or write into the podcast? That's for all three of you. Uh, yeah, I definitely get people that that do. <laughs> I know a lot of people who do, and but not uh, people that were originally friends, and then they started following. But uh, it kind of went reverse. It be- became friendly with people who write in. Some of my friends troll on tunnel vision or or whatnot so it's interesting but the funny thing is i think they're my friends parents watch me more than my friends do which is hilarious <laughs> that is that is pretty funny yeah like I, I we had my 25th reunion uh i guess a year and a half ago or whatever it was yeah and a bunch of people from there people are like oh you know i i'd listen to your show or what you know and so they would stay in touch afterwards so yeah there's definitely people that that do that his second question is, where has Tark with a K and Tark with a Q been? Are they too depressed to write anymore? They both usually had very good questions. They did. They were great questions, and they were short, and uh, so they were easy to read, and they got the right to the point. And I'm not sure, exactly sure what happened. Um, I think maybe Tark with a K wrote more recently. Tark with a Q, I think, was more on the recruiting side. We haven't done as many recruiting podcasts. so Wasn't I'm not... he working outside the country? I mean... <clears throat> I think he was at one time we were getting he was calling in or writing in from um, gosh I'm trying to even think of where I can even describe the place in the near Middle East it was near the site of the original Troy that uh, he was out of the country but he had a a, a, a real a feel for what was going on with USC. But I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Where, where, where are the Tareks? If you guys are out there, write in. Say hello. What about Jason from Longhorn Country? We haven't heard from him in so long. Well, he kind of told us he, yeah, was, he, he gave, was done. He gave us a warning, but it's, it's yeah. sad. Uh, the third question is, what was up with that older gentleman from New York that lived in a senior housing complex that watched the USC games in the rec center in the basement of his complex? He had called in like five weeks in a row for about three years. He was very entertaining. I hope he's still alive. Yeah, there's a long story behind that. We'll have to uh, Jack from New Jersey. If you come out here, we'll have a beer and we'll talk about it. So there's a long story there. Interesting. And then his final question is: What are your guys' thoughts on the XFL? Uh, it kicked off this weekend, and there are four USC alum that I was able to find on the rosters: Chris Brown on the DC Defenders, Jane Harris on the Houston Roughnecks, DeQuan Hampton on the LA Wildcats, and Damian Mama on the in- New York Guardians. And then he says, thanks for putting together great shows every week to keep us informed. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone and their significant other, Jack from New Jersey. Jack, I did a story on DeCon Hampton a couple weeks ago. At the time, though, so he was at training camp in Vegas. At the time, I think Damian Mama was also on the team. And I think it was Jalen Green. So maybe they're no longer on the team. It looks like Damian must have got traded. Mm. Uh, I didn't watch any of it the opening weekend, but I'm all for another football league. I just didn't have a chance this past weekend. But, um, yeah, I don't, what do you think, Dan? I thought it was well done. I was impressed. I think they're, they're going at the right level by playing in those uh, in the soccer stadiums and, you know, aiming for crowds of 20,000. Uh, I thought the games are fast-paced. I, I, I saw Chris Collinsworth 
watched the first weekend, and he said he really liked it. And I, I don't disagree. I think there, there ought to be a place where a Jenny Harris and Daquan and Hampton uh, can play. Uh, I like that idea. And if they don't, you know, overcommit and spend too much money, apparently they've got a good TV contract that they can they can survive. And I think that's great. Uh, what I saw was uh, I liked what I saw. I thought I watched uh, most of the games a little bit here and there. I thought they did a, a nice job in, in a lot of ways. So uh, I think they got a chance. Yeah, it's funny. I, I see some of the I'm not a big ratings guy, but I saw some of the tweets about the opening weekend. There were games on ABC and Fox, I think. They had yeah. a, a deal, and they beat every other sporting event, like NBA, whatever. It didn't matter. The, the XFL did better than those. So, that I mean, maybe it's the opening weekend and people are, are curious, but it's still football, and people love football. Football gets the best ratings, and you know, having more football, to me, is a good thing. And like Dan said, an opportunity to see players like that. You know, When I talked to Daquan Hampton, all he could talk about is trying to make the NFL. Um, so these guys, I think the league is okay with, Hey, we want you to shine, be a star and then move on, you know, and then we'll find the next star. Yeah. I thought it was well done. I know. Good job by them. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that wraps it up. Keely. That's great. So props to Keely for holding this together. She's going to have to, yeah, she's going to do all the editing. Um, all the jobs that I normally do that I'm not going to do because I'm in Maui, but she's going to put it all together while she's under the weather. So I do appreciate you doing that, Keely. Of course. You deserve a break, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I need a break every once in a while. I love this new microphone. I think it's working out well. Yeah, so. sounds great. Maybe I'll just stay here for a while. Keely, you can just keep doing all the work and I'll uh, you know, <laughs> I'll just talk a little. I'll be the mini um, Ryan. I'll run the show. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, we'll probably do, I think, maybe a Tunnel Vision Sunday, if that makes okay. sense. If I'm Would not- that work? dead by then yes <laughs> if you're not well hopefully you're feeling better yes, um, hopefully I, yeah i think it would probably make more sense than to try to do a remote one from here like uh, i don't know yes. if we need to do that no, i don't but think we need to do that either by sunday maybe there'll be some more official announcements um it just takes usc a long time to go through all their background checks and all that stuff so they're really slow uh but we'll you know we, maybe we'll know who the defensive line coach is by then but let's plan on sunday for a tunnel vision and we'll get back to our regular schedule i'll be back in town next week so um, thanks for being patient with with us. Uh, in the, hopefully, the sound quality is still pretty good. Dan, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Enjoyed it. And uh, Keely, thank you for holding down the fort there. Uh, is, is it raining there? What is it like? Is it? No, it's yeah, very windy. It's nice today. Very uh, windy. It was though. not so nice the other day, but tonight, good day. Mm-hmm. It was super windy here when I got here yesterday, and it was rainy. But now it looks like it's cleared up. I mean, I could see whales from my balcony. Like wow. that's that's pretty cool. Um, so I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go watch some (laughs) whales or something, play a little golf. I just got out here, but, uh, thanks for everyone else for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. We'll have uh, Harvey Hyde on back next week too, um, and get everything back to normal. So thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.